really, really hard and they execute the system, and that's what it's all about. Yes, sir. Trust. Big trust. Big trust. Big trust. Yeah, yes, sir. Right on cue. Hey, right on cue. Hey, let me We are back. It's episode two of the Jumbo Set. The big boys are back in town yet again. My name is Jake Luke. I'm joined by uh, Spencer Nathaniel Schultz, drinking a little coffee here on a, a rainy day in the mid-Atlantic, a rainy Thursday. How's it going? It's going well. It feels feels nice. Nice reprieve from the heat. Like We were uh, just chopping it up like a couple 42-year-olds right before. It's like typically, sometimes when we record, we you and I alone usually don't get into it ahead of time too much maybe like three minutes i think we're pretty good at, at hashtag saving it for the pod but we're just like yeah cold weather feels a little good yeah going golfing tomorrow yeah it's gonna be a steamy one probably cart path only all right ready to record okay so uh we just hopped on here had a had a quick dad chat and ready to rock and roll football's football's back so i'm feeling good i just had the spittiest i said football's back and saliva flew out of my mouth so yeah i I'm felt gonna- that through the camera actually yeah i sprayed all over you yeah, it is kind of like the uh, the king of the hill guys just standing out by the uh, the fence saying nothing is how I would I would maybe liken it to, but uh, it is always good to to hashtag save it for the pod I think, and uh, this is this is you know obviously the real you and me, uh, of course. But uh, how's everything going in regards to your thoughts with the Baltimore Ravens? We have some news uh, and notes to get into in a couple of segments, obviously, but uh, you know things are you know they're low key starting to pop off a little bit. The Orioles are. Uh, Still in the headlines uh, for good and uh, some also very bad reasons. So we've got that to talk about on the flagship podcast. But uh, as far as the Baltimore Ravens are going, there's uh, there's some good news I think uh, percolating a little bit. Uh, so what's the uh, what's the general state of the Ravens from the Spenneth Powers right now? Um, shout out to voice actor Johnny Hardwick, King of the Hill, passed away at 64 unfortunately after the uh, King of the Hill reference there. So rest in peace to a rest in power to a true king there. And yeah, like you said, it's smooth sailing. Things are picking up steam a little bit. We'll get into a couple topics, but Ravens feel excited. I saw a Sirius XM interview of Lamar Jackson where he just looked normal. He just looked like he did two years ago and three years ago and four years ago and was candid and polite and nice and smiling. And that was a good feeling. And I think that's kind of the, the summary of camp here is that the Ravens are smiling. They're happy. They seem happy to be there. There's a nice excitement about this new offense and a lot of comments from guys like Mark Andrews about uh, the possibility to, to give some more layups for Lamar Jackson in the past game scheme guys open more so than making them get open um, in a different vein than what we've seen in Greg Roman's offense. So I think that's exciting. Uh, all the reports coming out, Ryan Mink and Jonas and Jameson all saying yesterday was the most physical practice. I think they've seen Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen setting the tone makes sense. They're about to play their first game, so started popping. I, maybe coaches walked up and was like, hey, you two, go, you know, McDonald, Harbs, whoever, hey, go stir the drink a little bit here ahead of our first live action, our live bullets on Saturday here. So it's exciting. Football is back, and a lot to talk about. A lot of, lot of like normal things to talk about, fun little ditties we get to talk about today. So that feels nice, too. Yeah, it feels like a, uh, a normal show to your point, which uh, when we were doing this, just, you know, covering this team full time for the last like year and a half, it just felt like there was uh, there was not a whole lot of normal things to discuss. And even when there was, there was a pall hanging over it. So that's very good. But yeah, I mean, to your point about the defense, I mean, 
absolutely your boy, your guy, Steven Ruiz, was out there saying that it looked like he was watching the best defense in the league. So that's huge. And uh, it's interesting. I mean, like, you got that going on. And then I was listening to Aaron Schatz on the Around the NFL podcast before we got going here. Uh, and I, I forget the exact name of who he's with now. He's not Football Outsiders anymore. Actually, former friend of the uh, former friend of the podcast. He was on the uh, Beatdown Airways for an episode. Uh, he has the Ravens. His model has them projecting as the 20th best defense in the league. And uh, he had said, you know, he obviously couched it and qualified it and said, I really would not be surprised if it's way better than that. They've got a good coaching staff there that's going to, you know, coach those guys up and you know, those models sort of don't really love inexperience. They don't love the inexperience at edge rusher and some of the uh, concerns in the secondary depth wise, I guess. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting dichotomy. And if I had to guess, it'll probably shake out somewhere in the middle of that. But it might be uh, might be assisted by a move that they make at edge rusher, which it seems like something's percolating there in the form of one uh, Jadavian Clowney. Uh, who was in town for a visit. And it sounded like he stayed in town over last night. I don't know if he's still here, but uh, by reporting from Josina Anderson, I think confirmed by Jeff Zerebeck, there is an offer on the table for him from the Ravens that he is mulling over. We had heard that there was uh, some positive momentum that a deal was going to get done. Sounds like he's still considering it. So I don't know, unless something breaks while we're recording this, we might be having an outdated conversation by, uh, by tomorrow as to whether he accepts it or maybe they go in a different direction because they also had had Kyle Van Noy uh, in for a visit as well uh, a couple weeks back. And so are they trying to put pressure on Van Noy? What's going on with that? Uh, is Clowney going to be sort of the guy that steps up in his absence if he, in fact, is not signed here? Uh, it sounds like a move is going to be made. It sounds like positive momentum has been made towards Clowney, but not over the finish line quite yet. Yeah, the Ravens will end up with one of Kyle Van Noy and Genevieve and Clowney is, is my prediction there. I don't think that's too bold of one. Um, I'm a little bit more privy to Clowney, and it does sound like, like you said, that Clowney was mulling over a pretty much low ball offer that sort of caused the Ravens to be like, oh, well, that would be very convenient if that were to happen. Um, obviously, transitioning on from Justin Houston, Clays Campbell also has been in Atlanta. That's not news, but Houston goes and signs with Carolina. Houston felt like a possibility to be retained, someone that was so efficient in that third down role. So looking at Houston to Clowney to Van Noy, Three very different players, like three completely different roles that they fill. Houston, more of the, the designated third down, you know, pass situation rusher who has the, the kung fu in his hands, able to go win technically and win quickly. Uh, had a really nice month, six-week stretch with the Ravens last year and gets a little banged up, falls off a little bit, whatever, still an effective player. Then Van Noy fulfills kind of like... Somewhere between Judon and Tyus Bowser, skill set wise, in that Sam role. And I mean, Matt Judon from like his third year in Baltimore, where you're asking him to drop off a bunch and uh, be a versatile outside linebacker that plays in space a little bit and can go chase and do some things on the backside of plays. Van Noy, very cerebral, true outside linebacker, more so than like, you know, we think of it now as like, oh, TJ Watts, an outside linebacker. I'd say, you know, he's. A little bit more throwback outside linebacker than that. Give you a little pass rush. Give you a little bit of uh, cerebral capacity to drop off. And, and he's been there. He's done that. He's so, solid against the run. Can, you know, stack. And then you have Clowney, who, of course, is a polarizing player because of his draft position. He was none of the number one overall pick. He is, you know, someone who had a, a pretty un... Or I guess, what's the right word? Revolutionary knee procedure. 
uh, back in the day that caused him to be volatile, misses his rookie year. He ends up missing time here and there. He's a super explosive athlete. Kind of, It's kind of like what you know Chase Young has looked like. Shout out to the uh, Johnny Football doc. I actually watched that yesterday after we talked about it. First overall pick that year. Exactly. And to me, Clowney has the name recognition, but he doesn't have the production that matches being the first overall pick. Everyone knows who Clowney is, but not really like – for any particular reason, was really good on the Texans, had some splash plays on the Seahawks, gets injured a ton. So I think he has that reputation. But if you go look at what Clowney's been able to do the last couple of years, he's a solid, solid, solid run defender, first and foremost, I think, and a splash kind of uh, – contri- I was going to say playmaker, but more of a splash contributor as a pass rusher. He can disengage, and he'll he'll slingshot himself into a, into a sack every couple games, and – He's disruptive more so than he is, you know, a, a regular sack artist or anything like that. Last year, I think he played, um, missed, a, missed a couple games towards the beginning of the, the year, like three, four, week three, week four, uh, something like that. Finishes the year strongly. There's a certain Titans fan who's just in, in our group chat. He's throwing all sorts of slinging all sorts of mud. And it's just like, come on, man, what, what are we doing here? Yeah, and and he's uh, Eric's like telling us that Clowney is like some type of way as if like we don't know. He's been playing on the Browns the last two years. Two years ago, PFF credits him with uh, four multi-sack performances. That includes half sacks. They gave him eleven sacks on the year. I, I like the way PFF does that. Um, you know, really stout performance against the run. The Browns kind of just floundered last year. Last year was like a nothing burger year for the Browns. Watson suspended. You know, Brissett filling in. They're just trying to. I don't, yeah, I don't think they water. expected it to really be anything, and they probably overperformed a little bit when you consider what Brissett was giving them. And yeah, for Clowney, I mean, awesome it, kind of, last year. it kind of sounds like you're describing, and like from the play style too. I think this could be like maybe a Pernell McPhee type deal, where you know he comes in and brings that kind of impact. Exactly, exactly. I'd say a little tiny bit more juice than McPhee had when he re-entered with the Ravens a few years. Yeah, ago. I was thinking like so prime, that, prime more not quite prime McPhee, but like close to prime McPhee. Where he's rushing yes. from the inside and like doing different stuff. Definitely. And, and Clowney made comments years ago that uh, it wasn't about the Ravens or anything, but he was interviewed and, and basically got into the fact that he wanted to go somewhere after Houston that would allow him to just put his hand in the dirt, go rush, go be more of that, you know, defensive end type. And got a little bit of that in Seattle, has some time off and misses some games, things like that. Um, I follow this one trainer. Obviously, you guys know I'm crazy with workouts and trainers and stuff like that, but. Joel Seedman, a guy that is. Didn't really, they used to call you the seed man? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I I'm, I was spitting seeds left and right, baby. Right. Got a got a bag of ranch boys in my uh, bag right now. Gonna be chomping on those tomorrow. But uh, Seedman, someone that has like a really controversial style, so a lot of people hate him. He's huge into like don't go past ninety degrees ever in any workout. Like ninety is like squats, don't even hit ninety degrees, things like that. But a lot of the guys that he's worked with have been able to recover and get back into good playing shape and things like that. And Clowney definitely is one of them. And if you go check out Joel Seedman's pages, you'll see Clowney working out all over there. So been able to stay healthy since that. I like the Clowney fit most because that would, like you said, in that McPhee, strong side, force role, able to go dictate, be an apex defender against the run. And then as Adley Rushman crushes one that goes out home run again, Again, and clears the wall barely. Let's go, Adley. Um, so would be able to be that power run defender, like you said, kick inside on third down. Then the ramifications of that are that, you know, Ajabo, Owe, Bowser would be able to go work, be more true outside linebackers a little bit. Owe probably kick inside too. Um, you know, Ajabo doesn't need to be on the field on first and second down, especially early this year. Takes pressure off of him against the run. 
And I think that's the best starting five kind of element of having different skill sets in your outside linebacker room. Uh, Van Noy would be fine too. And Van Noy is a signing that makes sense if Tyus Bowser's knee doesn't really get into great shape, especially early in the season. So um, would be a, a fun signing for either one of them. And uh, it gives an opportunity. The, the obvious missing one then is that Houston, who's the designated mm -hmm. pass rusher, those snaps are probably going to go a lot to Ajabo. Uh, it's going to force Adafi away to be on the field a lot on third down, more than he was last year even. And then Bowser, you know, is going to be that versatile chess piece who's, when healthy, can be that kind of borderline Pro Bowl player. It stinks that Bowser tore his Achilles. He looked like a really good rusher that year. Was that 2021? He tears his Achilles in the final game of the season, I believe, and uh, very unfortunate. But I think Clowney, to me, is the one that I would like to go with. I think the Ravens would go with whoever's cheapest, and it sounds like it is Clowney. So I think maybe by the time you're listening to this, if it's tomorrow, on Friday, uh, Clowney might be a Raven. But somebody's getting signed, and, and I'm still not going to rule out the possibility that they trade for an edge rusher at the deadline or right before. Definitely. So that was kind of my uh, my one burning question here, um, presented by Black Eyed Susan Spices, who uh, are you know they've got some they got some good stuff going on there. Check out BlackEyedSusanSpices.com. They're introducing new, some uh, new different products. I think they're still in talks, maybe with a certain uh, program that uh, features hot sauces. Uh, you know, and wings and things of that nature. So a lot of good stuff going on there. Check out their website. Check them out on social media at Black Eyed Susan Spices and all that good stuff using Exit 52 uh, for your code for 10% off. But uh, the, want, the the red flag sauce, I'm, I want, I'm getting 100 bottles of it. It's so, If you actually like a strong spicy kick, it is so, so, so good. All you've been doing your, your steak and eggs with that, correct? Yeah, steak and eggs I had. I had that, I think, two days ago, actually. How does do that factor in with the uh, the nips of whiskey that we're doing every night? And how is the whoop band holding up? Uh, the whoop band, let's see. I didn't have, I haven't really had, I think I had whiskey maybe Monday night. The whoop, I have an 89% recovery right now. 88 sleep score, HRV of 119. Very healthy. I'm just doing it well um, right now. So steak and eggs have been good. I feel I feel lean. I feel thin. I uh, This is like stupid, but Djokovic was talking about his diet and he was like, I only basically drink water with lemon and eat fruit and like light vegetables during the day. And then I eat a lot of protein at night. And I was like, that makes sense. It's much less toll on your body. Um, so I've kind of been trying to mix that up. A little steak and eggs one day, just keeping it light the next. And we know that we know that guy's not putting anything in his body that uh, he, you know, does not approve of. So, yeah, if you want if you want an authority on uh, things that could poorly impact your health no no more uh, stalwart than novak djokovic there but yeah my burning question uh jadavian clowny or depth at corner i mean that's that seems like the uh the two really burning issues so to say uh remaining with this roster it feels like this corner thing it could bite them a little bit i mean not to be too negative because i think this is a super bowl ready roster but if it has to be one or the other i don't necessarily think it does i think they could do one and then make a big move at the deadline to trade for a high impact player at that position but just as of right now what do you assess as the bigger need oh it's tough i think the way i'll posture this is Having corner depth allows you to make the postseason. Having an intense four-man rush, a havoc-inducing four-man rush, allows you to win a Super Bowl. I think in order to win a Super Bowl, you need to generate pressure with four. At some point, there will be a quarterback that is too smart for you to scheme pressure on. There will be an offensive coordinator that's too well-prepared, that has seen you before, or is just familiar with it. And to me, that's Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, obviously, are the kings of the AFC. 
We watched Patrick Mahomes lose a Super Bowl. Why? Because the Bucs relentlessly hounded him. Was that due to injuries? Absolutely. But I digress. Pass rush wins Super Bowls. Having a strong, deep secondary gets you to the playoffs. So it's tough to get in position for the pass rush to matter that much without having the corner depth. So, um, of course, the two are relevant and tied to each other, but I, I just... It just feels like no matter what the Ravens do, they'll never have enough corners. I mean, ever. So, you know, bring another one in. You're fuller, last year, game one, looks great. Gone for the year. Then it's like, oh, all right, well, now we have to put pressure on Jalen Armour Davis and Marcus Peters is trying to rush back. He wasn't, you know, maybe quite ready, didn't look himself, which is to be expected and puts you in a little bit of a pickle. You know, Marlon Humphrey's out against the Dolphins for a couple drives and the Dolphins are launching. 50 yard touchdowns over your head. So um, if I, if I can only have one or the other, I mean, I guess it's corner depth, but I just feel like it's a, a white, a white whale that never can be attained in Baltimore. And yeah, like the, the that's sort of the way I'm looking at it. Like I would probably just take, you know, the bird in the hand right now with Clowney or even Van Noy, if that's, you know, what your preference is going to be. And that's how it works out. And then like, I feel like, I mean, he does this almost every single year. He makes a move of the deadline to cost us. So it's, like, if you make that move right now, you're setting yourself up well to just say, like, okay, all we would really need is cornerback, and then if we want to make a move for a guy like they tried to with Xavier Howard, but it wouldn't even have to be that. Just make a move for, like, a solid guy that can slot in there behind Yassin, behind Humphrey, and be a little bit more of a versatile piece. Like, some of these young guys you would hope project to be, like a Pepe Williams would project to be, but just isn't quite there yet. Uh, I don't know. I think that would be a really good, uh, really good route to take, and if you can find someone that's cost controlled and maybe it is a rental or whatever that would be i think that would be perfectly fine because i really do feel like this is a super bowl ready roster as of right now i mean all it does take a little bit of luck to win a super bowl and if you can just get yourself in the dance and i think they have a good spot to do even much more than that as things stand then you're in a good spot so yeah make this move for clowny and then uh then kind of assess where you're at a couple weeks into the season as far as corner goes and at the very least you can probably get yourself a guy who can you know jump in there and start in the slot or you know play in a pinch and you know do some good things for you so that's sort of the way i'm looking at it definitely and the two are related i mean good coverage gives more time to get home and a good pass rush forces the ball out earlier before receivers can get open so um i i guess you know in the end to answer the question i'm more confident in the ravens ability to scheme pressure and like I said, they can never have enough corner depth. It's plagued them for years. So even even just from the fan perspective, you just want to see them have starting caliber corners. Um, and we'll see. I mean, Marcus Williams, and I, I think obviously it's going to be a huge year for Kyle Hamilton. I don't think there's anyone who really thinks otherwise. I don't know in the entire national or local media, anyone who thinks Kyle Hamilton's not poised for a monster year does help you be able to give help to a deficient corner, hide his weaknesses. You have Marlon Humphrey on the other side. So... Um, and, and it just does feel like if, if there's a way for this team and especially this defense to lose its soil, it's going to be Marlon Humphrey not being able to play in games. So I guess that kind of answers it. What would you rather have insurance for Marlon Humphrey or insurance for one of your pass rushers? Who's not, you know, that, that studly at this moment in time, or, uh, you know, could end up being whatever, but I'm going to, I'm going to go with Humphrey in the end. Uh, to get you to the playoffs. And then it's going to be in Lamar Jackson's hands a little bit in the offense's hands to beat the chiefs, which I think uh, that's my one. We're not quite to predictions yet. We'll get there right before the regular season starts. But my one burning in my tummy feeling is that the Ravens see the chiefs in the playoffs this year. So going to have to outscore them. You can't really stop the chiefs. 
feels like that would be a you know a little bit of a right here right now situation. Destiny uh, coming all the way around because it felt like that was sort of the developing rivalry, and Lamar was kind of that first rival to Mahomes, and then all of a sudden it's Josh Allen, and then all of a sudden it's Joe Burrow. These these challengers have kind of uh, cropped up for him, and nobody's really. Uh, Nobody's really, you know, put themselves to the test. So maybe Lamar could uh, go through some shit, come out the other side as a, uh, a changed man, a developed quarterback, and uh, go th- and get this thing done in the playoffs uh, versus his uh, original kind of nemesis. That would be a sort of uh, Goku-type situation. I can, I'm not a big anime guy, but it sounds like that would be. Uh, yeah, uh, speaking of a signing that did happen, Ravens lock up an ascending property. It's an old EDC move, one that I think you and I were a little ahead, on, uh, ahead of the curve on with guys like, Chuck Clark, you know, making that prediction with guys like uh, Nick Boyle, you know, that one didn't totally work out, but that's okay. Uh, He does it here with Broderick Washington, defensive tackle, nose tackle, uh, three year, $17.5 million contract extension, including $6.3 million uh, combined in signing and option bonuses with $10 million total guaranteed. Uh, for the former Texas Tech standout, that per Aaron Wilson, independent NFL uh, reporter, formerly of the Baltimore Sun. Uh, thoughts on this? I feel like we both really are going to like this move. Definitely. And I think it goes to show the work that Washington's put in, uh, the work that Anthony Weaver has put in to get these guys so fundamentally sound, particularly against the run, and the ability for Matabike, Washington, Travis Jones to be young guys, and especially last year under Anthony Weaver's tutelage, Go stack and shed and peek and find the football. That's what Broderick Washington does over and over again. Uh, our guy, friend of the show, Emery Hunt, was had him as the number one three tech in his class, and that was a little bit of a you know controversial pick. Emery known to be very controversial with his uh, his scouting scouting takes, and I think the dude he does his own thing. Better. He's like uh, he's like John Eisenberg said about Ozzy. You know, he's just doing his own thing. He's watching his own tape, and he's not listening to anyone else and being influenced. Definitely. And doesn't buy into the group think. And Washington, someone that does nothing but man his gap, beat blocks, and is athletic enough to go hound down a running back uh, within the, the tackle box and a little bit outside, deflects a bunch of balls. He knows who he is. Uh, the comments, I think, that were made by Anthony Weaver were that you can he said, for my money, there's no one in this entire building at any position that works harder than Broderick Washington. He said, I think you can see that reflected essentially in his body shape, his body type, the lean mass that he's put on and been able to get some of the bad weight off and uh, just a professional. So Broderick Washington probably would have gotten, I think, especially after this year where it looks like he's in line to start and kind of take over Calais Campbell's four-eye, three-tech role, uh, lining up, head up, you know, four-tech over tackles and go be a, uh, an absolute hound against the run, uh, probably would have been a, an ascending property headed into free agency that maybe gets you know, a $30, $35 million deal if he waits. So uh, seems to be happy in Baltimore and was happy to take that deal. So love to see a, a late round pick getting extended that you feel good about. So that's a hit for Eric DaCosta in the draft. That's a hit for the Ravens defense right now and has to make Broderick Washington feel great headed into a a year that was looking like a, a stressful contract year. Now he's like, I'm a Raven. I can buy in all the way and go do what I'm supposed to do. Go get Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen uh, space to go run, go eat up blocks, beat blocks, and be dominant against the run. And it's got to be such a good feeling, too, because it's only a three-year deal, and he's still a young guy. So he's going to be playing in front of those dudes. They're going to be making him look good behind him. He's going to be looking good himself and uh, playing along some studs on the defensive line. And he's going to have another opportunity to cash in for a bigger deal, which for a fifth-round pick from a school that does not produce defenders uh, very often, I mean, that's a pretty 
pretty darn good route there for old Broderick. So uh, I think we were both very happy to see that and happy to see it from EDC. I'm glad that he's not giving up on that idea after the Nick Boyle thing. You know, maybe it was a little ill-advised with the health and obviously it failed out on him. But, you know, that one didn't work out. But one that did work out was Chuck Clark, who, you know, gave you a lot of really good solid years as a safety on that back end, was a good team leader. And uh, you rewarded one of your guys. And then you get a draft pick for him at the very end of it after drafting a guy who is much more high upside and was worth the pick. But, yeah, it's just kind of like continuing to churn through a farm system a little bit uh, and just kind of keeping the uh, keeping the pond stocked and uh, just doing right by your people. I think that is important. Uh, as we've seen with, uh, you know, certain ownership groups on uh, the other side of the uh, Camden Crossing, as it's going to be named, uh, take care of your people, do right by them. And, uh, you know, don't be a weirdo. And I think that, you know, owners and general managers can struggle with this a little bit at times. But if nothing else with the Ravens, you can say that they pretty much always do that. So definitely. And the versatility that, that Washington brings is, is a godsend. And like we always say, you know, I, I like to see a room. I like to see every room on an NFL roster have a prime player. And I think Washington probably stepping into that, especially as a run defender, uh, have an ascending talent. You look at Travis Jones, you look at Justin Matabike too, and then have a old guard veteran that's proven and confident and has produced. And that's Michael Pierce. So in that interior defensive line, you look there and you have that, I think outside linebacker wise, that's why you want to go get a clowny or a Kyle Van Noy to, to round that out. So uh, love to see Washington locked up, and it's going to be a, a fun, 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 underrated player. I think he's going to be a fan favorite for years to come here in Baltimore as uh, he's he's one of the lesser-known, talented, younger interior defensive linemen in the NFL that's doing some pretty big things, and uh, excited to see what, what he's able to do this season. Yeah, no doubt. So that is that. And then uh, last bit of news, we can kind of parlay into another segment here, uh, the Deep Dive where we, uh, we just dive deep into a topic and we uh, really discuss and just kind of sink our teeth and our claws into it a little bit. And this is one that's been going back a couple of years now. This is our guy. This is the prince that was promised. This is Rashad Bateman coming off of the PUP list, uh, you know, <laughs> looking like he was maybe emerging out of his uh, depressive funk there a little bit, uh, walking out. He, he's uniform. giving me the Goku vibes. He is, yeah. He, he walked out in uniform. He had his do-rag on. He was, you know, playing catch with the fans. He's hugging Keith Williams. Nelson Aguilar is embracing him. He Nelson hugged Aguilar, the grass right? as soon as he came out with a Red Bull in his hand. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Nelson Aguilar, you know, embracing him. He's looking looking pretty good, by the way, and looking like a good addition to this locker room. So another guy we can dive deep into if we want. But is it Rashad Bateman's season? Yes or no, and why? Yes, it is. The reason is because last year he was the make or break. Like it was, if Rashad Bateman's on the field, you feel good about what you have in terms of creating space, in terms of defenses respecting you and respecting your weapons on the perimeter. And that pressure, you know, made uh, made Cole not quite diamond. His foot couldn't hold up. Happens. And this year doesn't have to rush back. You've got veterans, you've got younger players, you've got that full, like we just described, you've got Aguilar and Beckham. You've got Bateman, who should be rounding into that prime role. Duvernay, who is, you know, maybe not quite as impactful, but it is established in Baltimore. And then you've got Zay Flowers, who's the young ascending talent, the the next in line. So Bateman isn't needed. Like he's not needed to put that pressure on, be all or nothing, be your on-ball winner or else you don't have one, which allows him to pace himself coming off of an injury that, as we know, as Baltimore Ravens fans, you will be a Liz Frank expert above any other 
authority in the world. They just are magnets for him. They draft them. They have them. They love them. They love those screws in the foot. So able to pace him, able to get him comfortable. When he has setbacks, you can ramp down pretty easily and not feel like, oh my God, the sky is falling. We can't get Bateman out there because you have other guys. And, and I really point to a Nelson Aguilar there. Like he's healthy. He always plays. He's super durable. He might not be a world beater, but he can play inside. He can play outside. You know what you're getting. And will be able to take snaps for you and, and look the part of a professional wide receiver that is established in the league. And, and he's going to drop passes. He's going to have frustrating moments. Everyone has to get ready for that. But I'm telling you, I think the goose will be worth the squeeze. Definitely. And, and he's going to take the pressure off in addition to having Beckham, in addition to having Duvernay who can take snaps for you um, and, and Zay Flowers the toy. So Bateman should really be able to pace himself, and I think that's going to lead him to ramp up and be a force later in the season. I think at this point, that's probably the intention for him and what the Ravens have planned for him. It's like, look, we don't need you in September and October to be taking 70% of snaps or 60% of snaps and being our number one targeted guy. We would love for you to build back up and finish a season strong. That has to be the goal for Bateman. That has to be the goal for the Ravens, for the training staff, for the coaching staff. Let's have him peak into the playoffs. That is what you want from Rashad Bateman. Uh, I think it's it's time. And for a guy that's had a really frustrating start to his career, has been vocal about those frustrations, uh, this can be that reprieve. You can see, you know, back on the field, looks like that means that his, just his reaction, his body language as he walks back out. It's like, ah, like this whole foot saga is good to go for the most part. I'm sure it'll stay with him. We know how that goes. Uh, shout out to our boy, Jimmy Smith. Jake and I actually had a run in a couple couple weeks ago with, uh, sure with Jimmy at Fells Point. Had a, a crazy 20-minute Jimmy Smith sash out in Fells Point. I think I, I was, we were talking about this. I think he liked us more than we liked him. I, it's not that yes. we didn't like him. I just think he loved us. Yeah, he, we were having a good old time at a Waterfront Hotel. But with that, you know, Bateman, it is Rashad Bateman season because the pressure is not on him to be the all or nothing, the make or break. It'll be you are a luxury that will become a necessity later in the year and should feel good, should be able to focus on staying healthy, focus on taking care of his body, focus on you know balancing, getting the work in versus taking care of his body. So I am higher on Rashad Bateman than anyone else in the world. I will always remain that way. We've seen when he's healthy, what he can do. And it's not like he's coming off of some, you know, debilitating knee injury that changes, you know, your structure of your life. The foot is nothing to sneeze at, but um, should be able to ramp back up. We saw Hollywood able to become a super impactful receiver again after dealing with his foot on and off for, for I mean, really still dealing with it probably, but um, that nagging injury as opposed to that, you know, Achilles or that ACL. So Bateman should be a, a pleasure in Todd Munkin's offense, working vertically, working on the outside. I think probably a little more so than on the inside. Uh, and I'm fired up, so hopefully he's ready to go week one. And this receiver rotation should be a fun thing when you even just, again, think about Isaiah Likely, what he was able to do once he was comfortable last year, and Mark Andrews, who can lead the way, has those big targets on the inside and bully their way to some openings for Lamar Jackson to push the ball to the perimeter. Yeah, no, so... I think 11 personnel, he's going to have a chance to really sort of stand out. He's going to have guys of different, you know, body and receiving types in him. If you're going to have Zay Flowers in the slot, if you're going to have Beckham on one side, that's really going to take pressure off. 
And then if you want to get him involved into uh, into 12 and have some of these tight ends take pressure off him as well, he can be kind of that that boundary guy that we've seen him succeed at, shaking guys, coming back to the ball. It's just very, very exciting. I, I saw a clip, I forget exactly what he said, but Trevor Sikama was just all jacked up about him on uh, Good Morning Football today. That got me really fired up. And uh, I don't know, man, just seems like on a granular level, he seems like a, a good dude who's you know, been through a lot of shit in his personal life before Minnesota gets to Minnesota balls out, never gets hurt. Then he gets to the NFL and you're going to be a pro and you think everything's going to be great, but you run into, you get some shit in your life and you get some professional struggles and it, it, you know, it, things can feel like they're never going to get better, but he's got a grand opportunity in front of him right now to work with Munkin, who seems like he's got all the positive vibes, you know, going and flowing and Keith Williams just, I'm really glad that he's here and that he stayed here because that felt like it was just kind of an experiment when it first started. Seems like he's really putting some roots down here. He's appearing in these team videos. Seems like a very well-liked guy, a family-oriented guy, and it seems like that translates over well to this wide receiver room who all seem like they're kind of uh, a bunch of young dudes that are looking up to the elder statesman, funny enough, that is Odell Beckham now. I mean, talk about that 2014 draft. That guy... Came the came out of nowhere as a uh, young dude at LSU and uh, was just you know took the world by storm and now he's the uh, he is the leader of this group and it seems like they're all taking their cues from him and uh, that's that's nothing but a good thing. Most definitely, and and you mentioned Sikama's comments. I'm gonna uh, see if I can can buzz them on real quick. And I love Trevor Sikama. I think he's he's the be- one of the best. Yeah, in the, I feel like we could best. very easily get him on this program too. We have a very close connection, so definitely. And let me this should be coming through. not hearing anything oh well there's dead air for you let me uh well i'll I'll see if i can do it i've got the uh i've got the connection here let's see there we go so yeah love trevor sikama uh one of the best rashad bateman's about to go crazy this year the last time i had fully held here so are you not hearing that nope this is how the sausage is made folks uh this is this is this is how the true magic is made all right here we go I think Rashad Bateman's about to go crazy this year. The last time I saw him fully healthy was that junior season at Minnesota, and he graded out in our system as an elite receiver. The following year was the COVID-shortened season. His first year in the NFL, he had that groin injury that he was dealing with, and then last year he had the foot injury. We saw him get activated from the PUP list, and even in just the small little training camp clips that we've already seen, he looks confident, he looks explosive, and he looks as healthy as he has been over the last three years. And so I really think that a fully healthy season from Rashad Bateman, we are once again going to get elite level production from this dude. I can't wait for it. He's so talented. I need him to stay fully healthy because he's going to put on a show in Baltimore. Yeah. So the main takeaways from that, he's talking about confidence. He's talking about full health and he's talking about elite level production, which I think is an interesting way to look at it. I'm not sure if we are going to see elite level production because I don't like, there's just a lot of balls to go around in this offense, not only in the wide receiver room, but you've got an elite tight end. You've got an an ascending young tight end who looked like he is, uh, you know, capable of starting in this league last season. He got uh, a running game that I think is going to be just as strong with or without J.K. Dobbins, who's another kind of storyline to track here, holding in, which apparently is going to be coming to an end, I think I saw somewhere uh, at some point soon, God willing. Uh, I don't know if there's enough balls to go around for elite-level production, but if he can just put some good shit on tape and, like, set himself up for a next contract, whether here or elsewhere, that's going to constitute a very good season for him. Yeah, I think it's efficiency. Uh, elite level efficiency is probably a better word to use. And, and that's what we've seen from him when he's been healthy and on the field, the yards per route run, his ability to create separation, obviously uh, 
Matt Harmon of, of Yahoo that does reception perception and all that has been so, so, so high on him. He can beat press. And that's the thing at the end of the day. You've got three guys, your top three guys in terms of talent. Bateman looking like flowers based on his profile and the pick. And Beckham, three guys that can play inside, play outside. They can play the flanker or they can play on ball. They can beat press. They can beat man and they can win against zone. So it's the versatility there between those three will be super fun. It makes it harder to pick up on tendencies. It makes it harder to pick up on, uh, you know, what concept is coming at what time when you're a defensive coordinator, a defensive player, it's, it's the multiplicity that should create some confusion and at least less confidence as Jose Altuve just continues to slaughter the Orioles with a double perfectly kissed on the white of the line there. But ultimately, uh, a fun, fun, fun time in Baltimore. Brashad Bateman is back. And, and J.K. Dobbins, like you mentioned, that last front that should be coming to an end. Harbaugh's comments that you know should be back out here soon. Um, to me, feels like they're probably offering him some sort of revision to this year's deal or something like that that'll give him time to mull it over, get back out there. And I don't I mean, he's acting, you know, a certain way that people rubbing people the wrong way. You have every right to that opinion for sure. But the guy doesn't need to be out there right now. No, he doesn't. I mean, it's like, I, I really do like wonder what he would really gain by being out there. It, it it might honestly help him to just kind of be sitting in the classroom, taking this offense in, learning what he's going to need to do because running back is just so instinctual. And I feel like once he gets out there, like we've seen, we've seen him produce uh, in multiple different situations at multiple different levels of health. I think he's going to be able to pick this offense up pretty quickly, uh, whether he's out there on the practice field or not. So I'd rather just not even risk the health. I mean, we saw him get hurt in a preseason game. He's definitely not going to be playing in those. And I, I don't know. I just think it's, it's going to be relatively easy for him as a sharp kid to pick this offense up, to pick his roles up, to pick his responsibilities up. And we know he's going to be running with a full head of steam whether that's a competitiveness to go out and just clown on opposing defenses, which, which we know is there, shout out to Andrew Sandejo, or whether it's to do the same thing to this coaching staff in front office, who he does not seem to, you know, super in love with right now. And I think he has some valid uh, reasons for that. Uh, but ultimately, like winning fixes everything and production is also going to fix some things too. So let's, I don't know, just keep him in bubble wrap, you know, for me, or keep him in the classroom and keep him, uh, keep his mind engaged let him know you you got big plans for him. It's going to be a big year, but let's just uh, let's just take the temperature down a little bit with this guy. I understand that like he goes on you know X or whatever the fuck we're calling it now, and he's like liking tweets and st or zeets or whatever the fuck we're calling them now, and maybe not endearing himself to this fan base. I totally get it, but like he also has reason to have professional gripes with the way things that have gone the last couple of years. So if we just zoom out and we see things from all sides. A couple of things are true, one of which is that he is 100% going to be playing football for the Baltimore Ravens this year. Another thing is true is that he's got all the talent in the world to go out in there and tear it up. The last thing is true is that he's maybe not happy. And, you know, he wants, if not a new deal, then he wants a little bit of extra money on top. Whether that happens or not, I feel like he's going to be out there and he's going to be uh, he's going to be a vital asset to this offense in some respects. So. I don't know. It's just one of those things where if he wants to hold in, I'm totally fine with that. Cause I feel like he can just go out there and produce right away, no matter what. So definitely well said he's produced since he was seven years old. He will be the best football player on the field, wherever he is, when he has the ball with one leg or not, he's, he's still tearing defenses up. So less wear and tear in camp now might be even better for the regular season. Him just taking it easy has over a month as we're recording here, just over a month still until he has to step on a field for a regular season game. Um, and there's a lot, there's a lot of noise. I think Russ talk, Russ, Ross Tucker 
of the Ross Tucker podcast, I guess is what it's called. Goes on 105.7, says, I'm taking him off the pup list and I'm finding him every single day, so on and so forth. And yeah, just, also, uh, he's, you know, very concerned about the Ravens' chances to break 10 wins this year. So he's probably needs every single asset to get in there and, uh, you know, produce. Exactly. So that's not how you handle it. Like, there's so many, I would find him, I would take him off. I would, uh, they're just letting it cool. They're letting it sit on the pot and cool. You know, take it off the burner, let the situation cool, put it in his court, let him hang out. That's not the way they handle business. Anymore. Yeah. And like, they, that's literally goes into the conversation we were having where I was alluding to the Kevin Brown thing. It's like, just fucking it. Like, even if there are issues, just treat your people well, just be a normal person and just like kind of let stuff like this sit and let stuff like, let stuff slide off your back sometimes. Like, it sounds like to, to me, like he's taking it from this like personal thing where it's like, oh, well, you don't want to show up and be a professional Then I'm going to like treat. It's like, it doesn't have to be like that. These guys are professionals. And if you treat them like that, then they will respond in kind with production. So. Exactly. Is that all we got? On I think that's all we got on, on Bateman, on Washington, on uh, Clowney, Kyle Van Noy, a little bit of the JK Dobbins situation, which I, I'm going to put, I'm going to put my arbitrary deadline of the 20th. I think he'll be practicing by the 20th. Okay. I'm fine with that. I'm also like, like I said, I'm fine with them taking minimal practice snaps in August. So we'll see what Definitely. happens. But yeah, that is all we got on deep dives presented by Fed Thrill Sunglasses. Check them out with those Mid Atlantic inspired vibes. They're another kind of small shop, uh, Maryland-based shop. Obviously, you got the name tying them into Fed Hill. It is Fed Thrill Sunglasses. Promo code Exit Fifty Two for ten percent off. It's still very much summer. I know we were talking about it raining, but still plenty of sunny days to go. September is basically still a summer month now. So yeah, you know, you got another six or so weeks and then uh you know nobody uh nobody loves wearing a nice uh nice pair of sunglasses out to the tailgate in crispy weather like me because it can still even if it does start to get a little cooler the sun can still kind of uh, uh affect i mean it's a very powerful thing the sun so make sure you're protected with fed thrill sunglasses is that all we've got for an entire show or you got anything else you're burning on here just the ravens ready to kick off their first preseason game this saturday against the eagles and going to be a, a fun local match here. Preseason continuing to scale down. That'll be at 7 o'clock on Saturday. You can find that locally on WJZ. And just we are going to be uh, we are going to be ending the summer of banks. We're going to have we're going to be flying him back here from Vancouver, and I'm going to sit him in uh, my studio here, let the uh, mic run, and he's going to be giving us a full, comprehensive two to three hour preview of this game. So keep a lookout for that on Saturday. There we go. Banks will be uh, very into the weeds of of. The Ravens' new long snapper, Mr. Ott. So yeah. fired up for that, but just want to see uh, the first the first taste of the Todd Munkin offense. I'm really excited. The one thing I'll say, we don't have to get too deep into it today, but the one thing I'm super excited, I want to see Josh Ross again. Josh Ross yeah. was so fun last preseason. Obviously, they brought draft Trenton Simpson, who's out right now. Malik Harrison's there. Christian Welch is there. Josh Ross looked like a viable NFL starter in preseason last year, like a solid NFL starting inside linebacker. I'm super excited to see that. And of course, some rookies take the field and get some action in that capacity. It'll be our first taste of the Todd Munkin offense and just fired up to see some of these younger guys get after it. Tavius Robinson, a six foot six, 260 pound long, strong down to get the friction on edge rusher out of Ole Miss. It's a little green in the gills. He's going to be taking some snaps. I would imagine. So fired up to see some of these rookies and all that good stuff. So, preseason's here. I, I, I always watch preseason. I like preseason. I'll so. see if I can get around to it. I am going to be down the ocean for the birthday of an Eagles fan, uh, which we're apparently doing a lunch on Saturday. So maybe we'll, uh, 
you know, be in a, a very, very state of uh, sobriety uh, by the time the game rolls around. And we'll just park ourselves on a couch and watch it together in, uh, in mid-Atlantic harmony. There you go. Beautiful mid-Atlantic harmony. So Ravens, Eagles, preseason underway. Football's here. It's in the air. We've already had uh, the, the Hall of Fame game. Johnny football. I mean, Johnny football was awesome. The it was, yeah, that was really well done. I've been kind of critical of some of these like documentaries that are coming out. Like we, we watched that quarterback thing and I was just like, man, like this is just a fucking like highlight package. Nothing against like the people. It's very well produced. It's all good stuff. But when it's just yeah, like it's, this it's state, crisp, but, but the, the narrative of it is very stuffy. It's yeah. It's all just like state run sanctioned commercial for the team, commercial for Patrick Mahomes, commercial for Brittany Mahomes kind of stuff that, you know, it, like Kirk Cousins came across well, like we said, but it's just like, man, I've seen this thing like 15 different times and, you know, a couple different formats over the last couple of years. And I'm just getting kind of sick of it. Didn't watch hard knocks for that reason. Maybe I'll get around to, uh, to getting into it. Cause it does sound like, you know, it was a fun thing and it's just popcorn for an hour. So that's cool. But yeah, this Johnny football thing was really fun, man. And, uh, I was a freshman in college when Johnny was in his, I guess, red shirt sophomore year. So I, I had been in high school when he first came out, uh, and then, you know, getting into college and like, man, that was my dude at the time. I thought he was, uh, you know, the the coolest thing going, and I think a lot of people did. And uh, oh, you were a you were a Caucasian college student with uh, that, that enjoyed sports and really liked Johnny Manziel. Yeah, yeah. Imagine that. I liked 10s. Johnny Manziel at the time. Yeah. So he was uh, he was definitely the uh, he was he was the guy at the time. And for anyone who's like too young to remember, it was like people were asking. I think Rita was talking about this on Twitter a little bit, like oh, why is this a documentary? This guy didn't do anything in the NFL. Like he was a massive celebrity. Like if you don't remember that, I kind of feel bad for you because he swept the nation. You know, the documentary gets- He was the it. first, he was the first freshman Heisman winner. Yeah, like it's crazy. Like and like the documentary gets it, like that had never happened before. And he's got all the, the partying Johnny stuff gets coming into that. There was a stigma. There was a stigma about sophomores being able to win the Heisman. Even. Yeah. It was which, like a, you're in a steam. It was like a, you have to be graduating out of college football in order to win the award. Yeah. And it was coming at an interesting time where A&M, as he gets there, they're leaving the big 12 and they're stepping into the, the kind of the big spotlight of the sec. And that's sort of really, if you look back on it, that was kind of the, one of the first major tectonic shifts as far as all this conference realignment shit that we're seeing now, it's all becoming about the bottom dollar. It's all becoming about this and that. And not only that kind of thing happening, but a star like him coming out and being, as Cliff Kingsbury said, like this little white guy who's uh, just drawing all sorts of eyes and attention and doing things in a different way. And he's got his swagger and he's a party guy like, yeah, man, it uh, it was just a complete hurricane of marketing and PR. And, you know, he he's made a lot of mistakes and uh, he's going to have to live with some of the more heinous ones for the rest of his life, but really did come away from it feeling pretty bad for him. I mean, he's got documented mental health stuff. I, I think he's diagnosed as bipolar, a uh, lot of substance abuse issues. It seems like he's doing a little bit better now and that's good to see big, uh, big into the golf scene, which is nice. I think he's, he's made his money and he's, he's more than able to kind of cash out. He'll probably be making money on his uh, name, image and likeness for the rest of his life here. But uh, yeah, it was an interesting watch uh, for sure. Definitely. It was really sad when he goes to get inducted into the Texas A&M hall of fame and he was just being kind of like, it, it was all about, acknowledging the things that he had done poorly and he couldn't even just enjoy being inducted into the college football hall of fame. And it goes back to like when he was in a small town in, in you know, central West Texas, wherever the hell it is. I'm imagining it's a little, little bit more towards the central, but he was like, if you would have told me that I would be, you know, in the NFL, I would have thought you were insane. And then it really just gets into the fact that he was the, the straw that broke the camel's back of him not being able to capitalize 
the craziest part of it was to me that Texas A&M, which has t- the oil barons of oil barons, went to Texas A&M. They have Boku Bucks. They're richer than Texas. They have the biggest boosters possible. Weren't fully engaged. Football team wasn't that great ever, really. The you know going into the SEC, it was like okay, we're going to be the seventh best team in the SEC probably. And instead, Johnny Football wins the Heisman as a freshman. The donations from boosters went from four hundred million to eight hundred million in one season because of Johnny Football. He made the school four hundred million dollars essentially from boosters. Then can't get you know a hundred grand off of his own likeness and his own autograph, his own signature. He couldn't make money off of. Um, so some of the hijinks he got into to enable that and, and everything. To, uh, Uncle Nate. Seen. His uncle, exactly the the legend, and, and not actually his uncle. He called him his uncle for reasons that escape me, but yeah, yeah. And then his grandfather was like able to redirect cash so they could have it in a bank account and and all this stuff, all these hijinks he had to go through just to be able to make money off his own signature. As Texas A and M builds a new stadium off of his back, and the the whole mentality of college football back then, oh, you're you're getting you're getting an education, son. Like, oh, you're getting a. 50 times overpriced education, but as we make a billion dollars off of you. So the NIL today, like he walked so that guys like Bryce Young recently in Alabama, you know, have been able to run and make money off their likeness, make millions of dollars. And Bryce Young, who had to fucking drive DoorDash when he first started out at Alabama. It's insane. Exactly. So, you know, these kids in any other sport at that point in baseball in basketball are making millions of dollars by the time they're 19. If they're that level of talent and achieving that level of success. Um, so, you know, whether that's a good thing in your eyes and that's, what's interesting. Now we're seeing, like you mentioned, that was the beginning of the shift. And now we're seeing this conference realignment and the sort of sterilization of these long-term rivalries and conferences as they shift into a more professional uh, system and entire world is shifting some people hate that and i get it you know you want it to remain the same schools that had a rivalry for 70 years but it just grew too out of control the capitalistic nature of college football and of sports has gotten too big and to not to have guys go tear their knee twice not be able to play in the pros i mean even john like johnny the crazy part was he ends up getting drafted through you know shouldn't have been picked in the first round ends up you know basically jiving and shucking the Browns into picking him in the 20s. Yeah, I mean, Eric like, Burkhart, like what a fucking soldier that guy is. I mean, I've got some opinions on him. He, I think he's one of the more interesting sort of outspoken, like bro agents. And like, I, I don't think he's like a bad guy, but he's a little bit of a used car salesman. And he fucking had to work some real magic. Like he was up against it to make sure that Manziel was uh, in that, in that uh, first round draft range, because if some of the shit that he was doing, that draft process got out, like it never would have happened. Definitely. And then it, accurately represented for those that maybe don't watch football or understand football's, you know, monetary structure, but it's like Johnny after his freshman year might've been able to be like a top 10 pick or a number one overall pick. Then he's might not be a first round pick. That's a difference of like $30 million to which many people will probably, Ooh, he got $8 million signing bonus. That's not enough for him. It's like for how much money he's generating. It makes no sense. If you're generating hundreds of millions and billions of dollars, you should be getting, I don't know, 10% of that, like something along those lines at, at least. So it's just a whole shit storm. And I think that they portrayed that aspect of it really well into Johnny being drafted 22nd and getting a fraction of what he had generated by that time already. 
So, um, you know, that's why kids are getting paid now because they can have a situation, even just injury related that you know, look at Jalen Smith at Notre Dame. Like he could have been making money at Notre Dame, massive, massive, massive name at a massive program and ends up getting drafted in the second round instead works his tail off to getting a big contract by the Cowboys. But you know, that very easily could have not happened. So these kids should be getting paid. They're not kids. They're I mean, they're legally men. So they should be getting paid. They are getting paid. They weren't even getting at that point in time. They weren't even getting free meals. Like they weren't even getting fucking breakfast, lunch, and dinner while they're, even if you're at, you know, Alcorn state versus Alabama, it's like, how are you not feeding them? What are you, what are we doing here? Yeah, they're working. Yeah. It's crazy. And it's like siding with the owners and siding with the universities. Like, I don't know. I get if you're a fan that you want what's best for the program overall, I totally understand that feeling, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It just, it, it never made sense. And hopefully they find a way to kind of regulate it for both sides, because I, I definitely want players to start getting paid and getting paid what they're worth. But it's also the other side of it is fucking Saudi Arabia coming in and just stuffing everyone's, you know, uh, pockets at the top and destroying the middle class. You know, you want to find that balance. So hopefully we'll get there. Unlikely, unfortunately, but hey, we'll uh, we'll fight the good fight. Yeah. Okay. So that was talking Johnny football. It Go was, watch it, it was, if you haven't. Hopefully, you turned turned this off if you uh, you hadn't. But those are good summary. We didn't get it. Like it's, I mean, it's only as it's much an of hour the social long, media talking points as most people. Yeah, do. it's it's an hour long documentary on Netflix. Like that is the perfect amount. Like we're getting too crazy with like let's do an eight fucking episode quarterback documentary and let's like have a full season of all or nothing. It's like give me a, give me a nice concise like deep dive into this thing and get some good interviews with people that were really involved. Don't just do a puff, a puff piece. They did a nice job. They, they got in touch with uncle Nate, even though he's not really friends with Johnny anymore. They talked to Eric Burkhardt, like they, they got the right people involved. So I hope, uh, untold keeps doing their thing. I think they've done some previous releases that were well-received. So keep doing that and hopefully it'll, uh, inspire more, more stuff like this. Most certainly. Uh, I watched the Jake Paul one too, and I thought that was actually pretty cool. It, Which one? it wasn't, it's untold story, the same thing. And like you said, you know, the quarterback one is like propaganda. Um, the Jake Paul one was super interesting and I think insightful. And um, the Mike Tyson's like closing remarks to, to basically end it were, were nuts. So I uh, would recommend that one too. I really, the untold story stuff, especially when they have kind of the bigger names on there is, is fire. That, that crew and uh, their willingness to get beyond that sort of propagandic state Yeah, I think, I think uh, Manti Teo was their first big one, right? Yeah, and that one was really good too. So Untold Stories is killing it. Any of those with big name sports guys has been a pleasure to watch. Cool. All right. Well, that is uh, that is a tight almost hour. Uh, anything else before we uh, close them out? Ravens have their 23-game uh, win streak against the uh, defending NFC champs here. So I, uh, I saw a couple of tweets I thought were funny that was like, when the, when the Ravens lose a preseason game, they'll finally win the Super Bowl. So we'll see if uh, if that holds water, if they lose one, if they win one. But... I know. I think FanDuel has the minus two thirty to go undefeated or to lose a preseason game, and plus two hundred to not lose a preseason. The funny thing is, like last year was the year, the first one where it was like, all right, they're like just kind of ramping up. They're taking you know preseason and training camp a little less seriously this time, and they still went out there and ran the table. So I don't know. I if that were what it took, I would I would fucking gladly go defeated in preseason this year. No wins. Nobody but. gets a team ready for September like John Harbaugh. To hate the guy all you want, but the Ravens are absolute madmen in the summer and into the season. So we'll see. We'll see if the uh, the streak lives on. It has become a little bit of a folklore thing at this point. Like it gets it gets national pickup pretty solidly. So we'll see.
yeah, people, you know, people maybe take it a little too seriously one way or the other sometimes. So whatever, it's just kind of a fun, quirky thing to track. But yeah, we will uh, be tracking it obviously on Saturday night. So be sure to tune into that. Uh, be sure to continue to tune into the jumbo set as we move forward. Hopefully get a little bit more uh, regular with this. We're looking at it as kind of a uh, once a week, maybe experimental thing, just doing deep dives. We'll, we'll leave the recaps to the flagship pod, uh, some of the more general and interview stuff. And this will kind of just be me and you. And like I said, uh, getting the other guys in the mix and just kind of riffing and ranting and having a good time. So it's been a fun first couple episodes. Hope you guys stay tuned in. Hope you tune in to the flagship pods as we continue here with this great Baltimore Orioles season and some of the not so great things that have happened recently. We'll be covering it all and we will be covering the Ravens on the flagship pod as well with instant analysis and all that good stuff. So thank you for listening to the jumbo set uh, presented by the exit 52 podcast, which is presented by Jimmy's famous seafood. Be sure to check them out. Go get yourself some crab cakes. It is still summer. Go crack some crabs out there. Uh, it's always a good time over at Jimmy's and keep an eye out on their events tab for all the fun stuff that they always have going on. Uh, in the meantime, thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you all later. See you. Peace. It's really, really hard and they execute the system and that's what it's all about. Yes, there sir. Trust. Big, big, big trust. trust. Big, big trust. trust. Hey, yes, sir. <laughs> right on cue. Hey, right on cue. Hey, I, let me go.